Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to Plainfield Christian. We're glad you're here. My name is Derek Skinner. I'm the high school minister. If you're joining us online, glad you're with us this morning. I hope to see you in person soon. I got a question for you. It is a lyric from a song. The question is this. When was the last time you did something for the first time? And my question on top of that is how did it go? Can you think back? Think back to the first time moments. Um, and, And what I really want to know is are you good at stuff when you try it first time? Go this way. Stick shift. Oh, all of a sudden, you get it. that. What that tells me is you're like me. That's good. Those first time moments, I want to share one with you, and I think you'll get a kick out of this. First kiss. Here we go. Went like this. Freshman in high school. I'm a freshman in high school. My girlfriend and I are walking out to the buses. It is a beautiful day. Birds chirping, no clouds in sight. It is as if the heavens parted just for us today. I am now walking her slowly out to the bus, just trying to think through what is about to take place as I am going to try my best to kiss this girl. At the same time, I'm too nervous to go for the lips, so I'm going to kiss her on top of her head. I'm just saying, I'm nervous. So she comes in for a hug, I give her a hug, and I lean down to kiss her on top of her head, but I take a deep breath in because I'm nervous. I'm so close to the top of her head, I inhale her hair. And I'm like, eh. First time moments, how awkward they are. If you're a parent, you know a lot of first time moments happen within parenting. And maybe you're the kid it happened with, so there you go, maybe that's it. We learn a lot from parenting, don't we? With your first child, you deck out the room. The crib is all nice. Everything's glowing and beautiful. For your second child, (laughs) you learn a lot. But you make a lot of mistakes along the way. When I was trying with Jake, I can remember changing a diaper for the first time. Never done it before until I had a kid, and I put it on backwards. Right? You learn a lot. With Reed, I remember he had a high chair. And it had a tray that slid into these grooves and clipped in. It also had a belt. We never used the belt because we like living on the edge. But anyways, we clipped him in, or so we thought. We put the food on his tray. He leans to get it. Tray pops loose. He, it was in that mission house. He hits the floor, face on the floor. It was also the first time I'd been to the emergency room. So winner, winner. But you know this. Think about it. Maybe you went for the family photo. And this happened. Family photo. Maybe. Mistake. Or or maybe it's school picture day, but you got it confused with pajama day. How about this dad? This dad tweeted this one out. I'll let you read it. Now, the question, is that a bad thing? Because I kind of like the idea... It turn the heat on, smell the waffles, deal with the ants, whatever. Or this last one. <laughs> when you're a parent, when you're a parent, there's a lot of new experiences. And if you're like me with newness, it's awkward at times. It's just awkward. But the reason this matters, I can remember um, when we were first expecting three different people 
gave us the what to expect when you're expecting books. Three different people gave us that same book. We thought we probably should read this, right? But no one gave me a book to say what you expect when they turn 10. Or when they go to school for the first time. Or when they start to date. Or now that they're getting ready to graduate. Or now that they're into college. Or now you keep naming it. The stage of life keeps moving. And I've never, because I'm a parent, I've never done this forever. I've never never tried this. I don't know what I'm doing. And here's why it matters. And it's funny, when you're a parent, the lyrics to songs, they hit you different. Here's one. I'll read it. Here we go. Four years later, about 4.30... She's crawling in their bed. And when he drops her off at preschool, she's clinging to his leg. The teacher peels her off of him. He says, what can I do? She says, now don't you worry. This will only last a week or two. One day soon, she'll be a teenager. And at times, you'll think she hates him. Then he'll walk her down the aisle and raise her veil. But right now, she's up and crying. And the truth is, he don't mind. He kisses her goodnight, and she says her prayers. He lays down there beside her till his eyes are finally closed. And just watching her, it breaks his heart because he already knows. It won't be like this for long. And one day soon, that little girl's going to be all grown up and gone. And this phase is going to fly by. He's trying to hold on because it won't be like this for long. Right? And as a parent, I know this. I've only feel like I've got these kids in my house under my influence for just a short amount of time. And I want to do everything I can to raise them well. I want to do everything I can to get them to follow Christ. I want to do everything I can to set them up in life to succeed. But this is the first time I've ever done it. And I can tell you, no one's ever showed me how. So what do I do? And I I guess, and I would assume, kids or not, everybody's in this boat. I'm assuming this. That you look at whatever stage you're in, and there's this question that keeps coming up. I know there's probably a way to do this better. I could do better. I know I could do better at this. So if that's you, in whatever stage you're in, I want you to turn with me, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. As you are turning there, Matthew 22, I want to introduce you to a game I'm sure you've never heard of. Anybody played, if you've played this game before, please raise your hand. There we go. Welcome. The American dream realized. Monopoly. The question I have is this. What rules do you play by? Let's see. All right. How many of you play according to this one rule where you have to go around the entire board one lap before you can actually buy or purchase a property? How many play that rule? Bunch of cheaters. <laughs> Sweeney's, I saw you raise your hand. Here's the next one, second. Second one. If someone doesn't want or cannot buy a property, so you land on it, no one's taking it, I land on Illinois or Indiana. I don't want it or I can't afford it. What do you do? Do you simply go to the next person's turn? How many do that one? Just go on, go to the next person's turn. Or do you auction the property? I'm spitting all over. You guys are in the splash zone. Do you auction, auction it off? How many of you auction it? So how many, I, sorry, I meant to say it this way. How many of you follow the rules? Oh, good. Okay, good. Third one. Third, when you are out of the game, you land on a, a space, you can't afford the rent. All right? Your money won't cover it. Your properties won't cover it. What do you do with what you have left? 
How many of you put it back in the box? How many of you give it to the person who just ruins your life? Perfect. Now here's the one, this is the kicker. This is the kicker rule of Monopoly. When you land on this space that says luxury tax or income tax, where's that money go? Do you put it in the bank? Or do you put it in this magical pot of gold that happens to appear in the middle of the board? And then when you land on free parking, your life is changed. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Now here's the real question. Is how do you know which one is an actual rule and which one's just a house rule made up by fairies? <laughs> how do you know? Well, if I've never played the game, I go into the box and I find the instructions, right? I learn how to play the game from the instructions. But more importantly, we'll use this as the kind of set to, to diagram this here. Doggone it, I break that chair every time. If I want to learn how to play the game, I'm going to read the instructions. Who made the instructions? Parker Brothers. There is a game designer who told us then, this is how the game works best. Now for me, I'm trying to figure out my pawn. I'm trying to figure out how do I fit into this game? How does it work? And also, if I'm a parent, how, do, how does this work? Anybody recognize these pieces, by the way? It's okay. It's, I, it's, <laughs> Luke joke. Okay. Here we go. Matthew 22. If you're still like me, I'm a parent, I'm trying to figure this out. Matthew 22, keep this in the back of your mind. Here we go. Matthew 22, Matthew was an eyewitness. He was a follower, disciple of Jesus. He would have seen Jesus go through some of these things. Matthew brings us into this one section, Matthew 22, 15, with two, two opposing groups of people. You'll see them on the screen here. It says, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him, being Jesus, in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. These two groups of people don't get along. The Pharisees, they were religious, very strict religious um, Jews who were very nationalistic. They wanted the nation of Israel to rule itself. They didn't like Roman rule. The Herodians, as their name kind of implies, they liked having Rome. So you can see already, these two groups don't get along. And yet, and here they come together. Why? Because they have a common enemy in Jesus. They are trying to trap him. And the trap they lay is pretty good. We'll explain it. It goes on. They say this. They go to him and they say, teacher. Listen to the, they butter him up. Just listen to the language. They said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Butter, 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 make you feel good. Tell us then, good teacher, what's your opinion? Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Now listen, this is why it's a good trap. If Jesus says, well, yeah, you got to pay the tax, he sides with the Herodians. The Jewish followers then, these Pharisees, will tell all the Jewish people, whoa, we can't follow this man. He, we we want to be a nation. How is he the Messiah? This, this uh, God or this, uh, we'll say Caesar, proclaims himself to be a God. How can he do that? We can't follow him. And he'll pull the Jewish community away. That's bad. If Jesus says no, then the Herodians will be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to pay taxes to Caesar? Arrest this man and let's execute him for treason. You see, it's a good, tra it's, I mean, it's a well thought out question. And I love how Jesus handles it. Here we go. Verse 18, Jesus, knowing their evil intent, he said, you hypocrites, 
Why are you trying to trap me? I love he calls him out. 19, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius, we'll have it on the screen, and asked him whose image is this and whose inscription. So there's a denarius. Whose image is on that? Well, that's Caesar's face imprinted on. It's his image on the coin. All right, so Jesus then, they all say, it's Caesar's face on that coin. Then he said to them, give back to Caesar then what is Caesar's. And it's not mentioned here, but I want to say it before you can see where it goes. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar. And let me put something right in between. Whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? Genesis 1, 26 and 27, when God is forming the whole world, he's making mankind, and God, it says this, let us make mankind in what? In our image. What that means then is I'm trying to figure out my role. The first thing I've got to come to grips with is I'm not my own. You're not your own. This is what we've been talking about. Luke's mentioned it the whole time with the Heidelberg Catechism. It says this, what's your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own but belong, body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Or what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, you're not your own, you're bought at a price. What that means then for me as the pawn is that I am not mine. God, you own. I'm yours. I'm made in your image. I belong to you. You didn't just make me, but you bought me. Either way, I'm yours. You're his. But take it one level deeper. I belong to him, and so do my kids. My kids are made in his image. My kids belong to God. They are not necessarily belonging to me. I'm in charge of, but ultimately my kids belong to God, and I'm a steward of those kids. And now the question gets even bigger is I'm trying to figure out not only where I fit in the game, but then how do I fit with my kids as I'm in charge of and in authority over? What's that look like? Well, we said this, if you want to learn how to play the game of Monopoly, what do you do? You look at the instructions, right? You look at the instructions, and we, we have to see what do, what do those tell us, and what do they say? Go to Deuteronomy 6. You want to look at the instructions and understand the game, let's go into God's word. And let's dig into it, what does he tell me about parenting? Deuteronomy 6. You're looking at Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. This is called the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Oh, we can do it better with gusto. Shema. Ah, I like it. A, a devout Jew would recite the Shema twice a day, once in the morning, once at night. Once in the morning, it was that important to him. Okay? So here's where we're going with. Let me give you some backstory before we get into it. The nation of Israel had been slaves for 400 years, slaves in Egypt. God, through miraculous events, remember this in the Exodus, miraculous events, he frees them. He feeds them, leads them in the desert, provides for them over and over. And then he actually gives them rules. And what's interesting is they were free and he gave them rules. Let me explain it a different way. Um, usually when I teach this to kids, I'll do this. I'll say, hey, let's, let's race. Who wants to race? And I'll have one kid come up, one kid come up. I give them a beanbag and then I say, all right, on your mark, get set, go. And you know what they do? Nothing. They just stand. Why? Because they don't know the objective to the game. For Israel, they don't know what life looks like to be free. They don't know how that should function. What do I do now? So what does God do? And I love this. He gives them rules. 
He tells them this is how life works best. He's trying to show them that. So know this background. Then after they do this, Moses, before he hands them off so they can go in and take over the promised land, he gives them this word of advice that really speaks to us as parents. Here you go. He says this, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Let me stop. In Hebrew, there is no word for obedience. Okay? Now, here's a parenting thing I wish I could get across. The idea is that if you hear these words, you will obey them. Now you understand the parenting principle? I wish my kids could get this. When I tell you, you do it. It doesn't happen, right? But this is the expectation. If you really hear me, you will do these things. So here we go. Moses, he tells them, um, he says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And here we go. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Look at the importance of this. So as I'm trying to figure out my role as a parent... Let's walk through this in game terminology, okay? First thing he says here is, hero, hero Israel, the Lord is one, right? There's only one God. In other words, there can only be one person who sits in this seat as the game maker. Only one person gets to sit there. I've got to get that one first. Second thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Not only is the relational piece, or I'm sorry, the, the, the authority piece important, the relationship to authority matters. And you know this, and you've probably felt this in the work environment. Have you ever had a boss that he's an authority over you, but you don't respect him? Don't say names. Let me tell you from my experience, and it's different. It's different for everybody. When I was in college, my college basketball coach had hired on a past player to be an assistant, which sounds okay, right? That's the problem, it wasn't that he was a bad player. The fact was, is what he was coaching us to do. He was training these guys on how to cheat, hide it from the refs, and get away with it. Now, my thought is, if you can't play normal and get away, you know what I'm saying, like, and play well, maybe you shouldn't be playing. But for him, he's teaching him how to cheat. So here you have somebody in a position of authority, but my relationship is what's going to cause me not to listen to you. So we got to work on the relationship. Put God in his proper place, but then understand how much God loves us. The fact that God would die for me, a sinner, should inform and impact our, our relationship to him. So it matters the position. It matters the relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Then he says this, these commands I give you today are to be on your hearts. In other words, yes, i got to get these right, I need to know the rules to the game. I got to know how to play this, which means for me, you got to get in his word. You got to start diving in. I, I remember asking our kids this once, and I said, how many of you guys, and I bet you you could do it in this room too, how many of you guys want to hear God's voice? They'd raise their hands. How many of you want God's advice on, on certain decisions you have to make throughout the day? And they would raise their hands. And then I said, okay, if you want to hear God's voice, you want to listen to his advice, how many of you are reading his word daily? How many of you are, are seeking him in prayer and listening to see him reply? 
Do you see the problem? It's like I want these things, but I don't even know. I'm not diving into his word. I don't know the commands. And you know the next part, the very next thing is impress these on your children. How can I teach them if I don't know it? So we've got to dive into his word. At the same time, we've got to teach our kids the commands. We have to train our kids on how to do this. Now, let me give you this one. There's a warning Moses also gives with this. Remember those four things, all right? I'll I'll hit them real quick. I got to make sure God is the game master. I need to work on the relationship I have with God. I have to know his rules on how to play the game so that I can train my kid on how to do it. That means that the primary disciple-making entity in your kid's life is you as the parent. Don't forget that one. Now, the warning is this. Moses gives a warning, and he says in Deuteronomy 6.12, be careful that you do not forget who sits here, that you don't forget God. We have a tendency to forget. Just ask any kid what their mom just told them. We have a tendency of forgetfulness. And he said in verse 14, he said, don't worship foreign gods. So if we forget God and push him out of the seat, we have a tendency to put something else here. And he tells us what that is in chapter 8, 17. He says, when you go into the promised land, you're going to see these cities you didn't build. You're going to see these vineyards you didn't plant. And everything's going well and you're comfortable and this is all seems good. And then he gets here to 17. You may say to yourself, my power. My hands did this. Who then starts to sit in the seat? Me. All of a sudden, this feels pretty good. Who needs God? I can define the rules for myself. I can play with this magical pot of money in the middle of the board. And every time I land on free parking, oh man, my my life has changed. You get what I'm saying? I can start making up the rules. But the problem we have is that was never meant for us. So here's the warning signs that we may have pushed God out of the seat and put ourselves there. Let me give it to you this way. There's a book, if you want a resource, it's a good one. Um, There's a book by Paul David Tripp called Parenting. And he mentions some of these things I'm gonna give you. This is just warning signs. It's not saying that, yes, I've pushed God out of the seat. It's just saying you're getting close. And maybe you know this. Do you know parents? Maybe you know of a parent who finds their identity or their reputation through their kids. That they get a sense of worth and value and they're putting their identity upon their child. The way this often looks is they begin, if a child is doing well, they'll parade them around like a trophy, not for the child's sake, but so that the limelight can also hit them. And they'll begin to get a sense of reputation, building up their reputation In the book, he says this, God didn't give you children to build your reputation, but to publicly proclaim his. Have I pushed God aside? Second one is success. Success, Paul David Tripp writes this. He says, parents, um, again, let me give the idea before I go to the quote. I begin to validate if I'm a successful parent based on the success of my kids. So he says this. These parents tend to be working toward a specific catalog of indicators in the lives of their children that would tell them that they, as parents, have been successful parents. Things like, and here are the four, and I think it'll hit you, right? Academic performance, athletic achievement, musical ability, and social likability become the horizontal markers of how well they, as a parent, have done. 
Guys, I feel this. I don't know if you're there, but this is why this resonates so much with me. As I was coaching my kids' teams, I'm thinking, I'm an athlete. And then I'm watching my kids maybe suffer. They're not doing as well. And I begin to think, oh, no, what do I need to train them? I'm not thinking that. What I'm thinking is, do people think I'm a bad coach? You see, I've taken it and made it personal. Why? Because that's pride. When I sit in this seat, that's pride. I'm taking over for God. The focus is not on my child. It's on me. And that's the danger. If you get in that area, then maybe, just maybe, you've started to forget God just a little. The next two, let's go to those. Oh, let me stop for a second. I said success. Maybe it'd be wise of us to think through our identity in light of what God has said. Right? Think of it this way. I would much rather have God tell me my role. Why? Because I care more about God's opinion of me. Most importantly, let's put it this way. I heard this. I thought it was good. Keep it. He said, what I want when it comes to my identity, I want Christ's sacrifice to inform God's opinion of me. That's what I want. Who doesn't? When it comes to your identity, I want Christ's sacrifice to inform God's opinion of who I am. What about success? How does God define success? It's not these horizontal markers. You Think of the prophets. The prophets... You have some guys who cried out, they did exactly what God had asked them to do, and no one responded. As a minister, it is tough. I'm not going to lie. This is what I struggle with. When it comes to success, if I see that the numbers are down, I'm like, oh gosh, what did I do? And I begin to take it personal. And yet, how does God define success with these prophets who no one listened to? You know what success is in God's eyes? Obedience. You did exactly what God had asked you to do. Think of it as a, if I was a coach on a team. What do I expect? What's, what success look like? Oh, I would love to win. But if you did exactly what I asked you to do and you did it 100%, how can I ask more? We don't want to define success. We can get in the wrong. Let's go to the next one. Third one, I would say, is just a warning sign. Careers, work, and jobs. There's a story he tells in the book of a mom named Sally who she, because she, she found herself forgetting God in this. She put herself in a seat she wasn't supposed to. Because of that, now she's starting to define her kids. Instead of, I'll say it this way, she's starting to dictate who her kids are going to become. So what she does is she begins to control as much as she can about them. Listen to their schedule. All right, here was the schedule. They would wake up in the morning for study tables, eat breakfast, go to school. Then after school was over, they had to be a part of certain clubs or sports teams. After the sport team was over, then they had to go and practice their musical instrument, come home, do homework, eat dinner, go to bed, repeat. Until the kid, Jamie, could do nothing. They couldn't even get out of bed. He's like, I, don't, I would run away, but I got nowhere to go. I have no freedom. I have no choice because the parent is trying so hard to dictate and say, this is who you're supposed to be. But what's God do? Now, again, that's the bad side. What's God do? If we believe Ephesians 2.10 is legit, we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. If we believe that, then my job as a parent is to discover, not dictate. I want to discover the gifts my child has. And then once I see those gifts, I want to cultivate that to grow to be more what God has called them to be. I am discovering them, not dictating to them. Now, again, it's a hairy line, right? It's blurry because there's somewhere I have to, I have to step in. But if you find yourself sitting in that seat a little bit more, it's a warning sign. Last one. Warning sign, I may have moved God out. Rules and laws. 
Think about it. If I move God out of this seat, he was the game master, now it's me. Now I make the rules. Welcome to Derek world. You're going to love it, right? I make the rules. And a lot of times, I may as a parent make those rules not on what is ethically right or wrong. I'll make them on my preferences. You cannot wear any IU apparel in my home. Hey, there it is, yeah. And we're done. Okay. But that's not ethical, right? That's just a, it's, it's not a moral thing. That's a preference thing. So I have to be careful because your kids will rebel against that. At the same time, I can try my best through rules and laws to change my child. Now, I need to say a caveat to this. Do kids need rules? Of course they do. Rules are good. This is what Paul said when it comes to the law. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. What's the law do? It shows me what is right and what is wrong. What is good and what is bad. A kid has to have guidelines, has to have boundaries. But if I begin to put laws in place to totally change my child, well, now I'm using the law for something it cannot do. If it could, I don't need Jesus. If the law could change somebody, I don't need Christ. And that's, we know that's not true. What I want instead is I'm enforcing the laws because I want my kid to be convicted about what is right and what is wrong. And if they're convicted, then they'll repent. If they repent, then they'll seek Jesus. And Jesus brings change. So I've got to have rules. I've got to show them what is right and wrong. But I've got to do this. And when I show them, I've got to show them not only what's right and wrong, but I've got to show them grace and love in the midst. And this is why it's tricky. When do I discipline and not? But if you're trying to change a kid by putting all these rules and laws, oh, man, we can miss it. I love this last quote for this, is how God did not die so your kid would be successful, so he'd earn all this money, be a doctor, lawyer. He didn't die for that. He died so you'd be reunited with him. Let us not lose the picture, okay? So all of this to say, I'm still trying to figure out how to parent in the midst of this. How do I do it? And hopefully you heard it. Let me reiterate it again and we'll be done. Before I do, I want to tell a story about Jesse Haskins. Jesse, I know, you're like, uh-oh, he pointed at me. Please, God, no. On our Dominican Republic mission trip, at the end of it, I keep using this story. It's going to be bad, right? Um, at the end of our trip, we had some time on the beach. Not a bad place to be, I'll tell you that. And as we're there, we had music playing, and all of our kids, we're all dancing together. I say we, I mean they. I'm over guarding the bags. And as I'm sitting here holding on to the bags, they keep saying, come dance, come dance. And I'm like, no, I'm six, seven, white guy. Dancing's not in my DNA, and you can't unsee this. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Um, anyways, so I'm sitting here. That's what we're doing. We get on the bus, and we're heading back. And the kids ask me, why didn't you dance? You want, I mean, I tell them, like, I'm not good at this. And really what's going on behind the scenes is I'm afraid what people will think of me when this happens, Right? Because it's awkward. It's awkward. It feels uncomfortable, and I just don't want this. And then Jesse Haskins beats me in the face with this one. He says this. He says, everybody can dance. You just got to get over the fear of what people will think. Well done, Jesse. Hit me in the teeth, man. And some of you may be looking at this and saying, I'm a parent. And I look back, and I feel like I've missed my opportunity. Or it feels awkward. We never, I mean, for me, we never did some of this stuff growing up in the house. Well, here's what I would say, just like Jesse said. You got to bust through the awkwardness. Get over the awkward. 
Now, if that's the case, here's my advice. I want you all to say this word with me. Say start. Ready? One, two, three. One more time. Good. You need to start reading the instructions. If you're going to play this game, you got to start understanding how it works, which means for me and you, we all have got to get into God's word and start rooting through it. I would recommend this. If you never read it before, get into one of the Gospels. You want detailed account? Go to Luke. You want short and sweet? Go to Mark. If you want a commentary on how to live this out very practically, go to Jesus' brother, the book of James. If you want an inaugural address of what Christ is expecting from those who follow, go to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Read through these things and start digesting it so you can start to see, how am I supposed to play? We have to start Reading the instructions. Here we go again. Ready? One, two, three. Talking to your kids about God. We need to start having faith conversations with our kids. Let me give you some quick hitters, advice, stuff I've seen that works. Maybe you've got some. I'd love to hear those later. But here we go. Um, if you have young families, daily, I would say a daily story time. What we do with our kids is in the morning at breakfast, we open up a storybook Bible and, and read my, my middle um, he'll come up and be like, oh, we got to read, we got to read. Maybe it's because it's his name. But anyways. He'll say we got to read God's word. So at breakfast, we're reading stories out of the Bible. Later on then, in the evening, we do a story time at bed, like bedtime stories. We're not reading straight Bible there. We read Swiss Family Robinson. The idea, though, is we want those times, we create those habits so that we have an opportunity. If our kids need to talk to us, they've got it. So young families, I would say start there. Older families, what I would say with you guys, one, start coming to church, no, number one. We'll get to that one. That's next. But I would say, because you're going to have faith conversations here. But you're in this room right now. And I would say write down one question, one question from today's sermon or something you heard in a class, something you read in the Word, one question to ask your family. It could be something. Go, go baseline level. How do you guys play Monopoly. Again, it seems like it's not related, but then you could slowly begin to weave that. What did you think of what he said? Do you think, hey, do you think you know what God said? You see what I'm saying? It can start dovetailing. Ask one question. Third thing, come to church on a regular basis. By coming to church, we're going to have faith. Come. What do you think we're going to talk about? Right? We're going to talk about God. And hopefully this spurs on the conversation, but let me go even a step further. If you come on a regular basis, let's start in preschool with Krista. If your kid starts off this young, starting to come, trust is going to start being established with this place and the people in charge. Then you're going to come elementary with Morgan, and you're going to start hearing the stories about God, about his character, who he is from the past. You're going to start learning about Jesus. And from that then, when we get into middle school, kids are starting to ask three baseline questions. Who am I? Where do I belong? And what value do I add? They're starting to wonder about life and how does this work. By the time then we get to high school with me, now we're starting to say, well, this is how you play. This is what you do when you get into Baltic Avenue. You buy it right away and put a hotel. Duh. You see what I'm saying? Come to church regularly. Next one. Look for everyday teaching moments. If you listen to what Jesus did, he taught in parables. Let me give you one. Can you imagine, before I give this, Jesus walking with his disciples following him. As a man is planting his, his field, here's a small path with a stone wall, weeds coming out. He walks through the path, right, and then turns around to his disciples and tells them, the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer sowing seed, right? He's sowing seed. Some fell on the path, some fell on the stone, some fell on the good soil. What are you? 
He used everyday moments to teach his kids. So if I took this, when should we talk to our kids about faith? Well, maybe when you decided to take, let's say you took a trip and you went to Tennessee. Might as well talk in the car, it's a long drive. Or maybe for some reason you decided to to take a vacation to Kentucky. And then you realized that's a bad idea and you went straight to Indiana. (laughs) Or maybe you went down to Waterworks and hit a water park. You see, every day there's opportunities, but we got to be looking for them. Okay? Look for everyday moments. Next one, number four. Find a mentor family. My nose is running. That's good. Find a mentor family. For me, I'm not great with finances. So I want to find somebody who's doing it well and ask what they're doing. Why not the same thing with faith? Ask somebody who's ahead of you or maybe mentor somebody who's behind you. Next one. Look for moments of disobedience. You'll find these quick. Trust me. Um, Moments of disobedience. What it's doing is revealing the heart of your child. That there's still sin that needs to be dealt with. So we, we hit those with God's truth, but also God's love and mercy and grace. Hit them both. It's a great opportunity. Be consistent. Next one. Be consistent. You have to be a consistent presence in their life. If you want to have a conversation with your child, you got to show up. You have to be a part. You have to be there. How can I have a conversation when you're not present? Last one I want to give you with this one of talking to your kids is to have fun and make, it, make a memory of it. My brother-in-law, what he does with his family, he does a thing called D&D. Anybody know what D&D is? <laughs> you think you do. It's not Dungeons and Dragons. It's Devos and Dessert. That's what he does. Dessert and Devos. In the evening, his kids, they go get ready for bed while he lays out Oreo cookies. Then he opens his Bible. They come back. He gives them cookies, and then they start reading his word. He said, I want it for two reasons. One, I want them to hear God's word. That it matters to me, it matters to them. But number two, he said, I want them to have a sweet taste in their mouth as something they're excited and can't wait to hear. Make it fun, make memories. Start reading God's word, start talking with your kids. Here's the next one. You have to start living it out daily. Doug Fields, he said, he said, we need 24-7 role models. He didn't say perfect. You be perfect, it won't help your kid, because they're not. You need 24-7 role models, people who actually mean something to them. You know this. A faith is not taught, it's caught. Jesus didn't say, all right, disciples, come here, sit down and listen. He said, no, 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 come and follow. They need examples worth following. And that's you. I've heard this Jewish proverb, they put it this way. If dad loves garlic, mom loves onions, don't expect the kids to have good breath. But that's it. If it matters to you, Fuller Youth said that a kid's level of faith is relative to their parents. You want them to grow in their faith? You need to grow in yours. Be the role model. Show them that it matters. Last one I'll give you is this one. You cannot play the game of Monopoly alone. You can't play it alone. It'd be boring. It's already kind of boring, but it's going to be more boring. You can't play it alone. I want you to hear this, Matthew 28. Great commission. Right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, our job as parents, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and commanding them, right, teaching them my commands. But the last line is the best one. And surely I am with you always. You don't go to parenting alone. 
The Spirit of God resides in you, reminds you of the teaching and the commands of Jesus. That's part of it. But the Spirit of God not only resides in you, but it resides in others. Go together. Start playing together. I know for me, doing something for the first time is awkward. I know that. But when I do that with my friends, it's not so much. Right? Now let me give one thing to end it. Don't underestimate the power of your voice no matter what age or what stage. Because I know there are some in this room, your kids are already gone, right? They've graduated, and you're thinking, I, I've lost the opportunity. Don't underestimate the voice you still have and the example you still set. God used Moses when he was 80. I have a friend of mine who was, he was desperate for a family member to come to follow. And for seven years... His family member wouldn't listen to his voice, but he hit his knees often to pray for him. And seven years later, seven years, day and night, he's praying for this guy. Seven years later, he gets a phone call. Finally, the guy's like, you'll never believe what I just did. Don't underestimate the power of your example and the power of your voice. Because we know this, as a parent, it won't be like this for long, right? I have a small window that what it feels like I don't want to make the most of this opportunity. Let me pray for you guys. Father, thank you for this opportunity to look at something as simple as a game of Monopoly. And yet it try to impact how we live and how we, how we live in this moment. How we take the stage of life we're at. And then move one step closer to who you are. Who you want us to be. I pray God. You'd give us the courage to get through the awkwardness. And then at the same time, God, the strength and wisdom to know when to talk to our kids, how to talk to our kids, how to talk to others, and have those conversations. Prepare us for the work that's ahead and help us live in you. We love you. It's in your son's name. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.